What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? We're going to use podcast. My name is Solomon Lee at Red Nijin Hoops on Twitter. You're joined by Forrest Walker at Do Not on Twitter. How you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. I'm uh, enjoying uh, having some free time. Yeah, um, I am too, especially the last 48 hours. <laughs> man, I don't even know where to start. I think we kind of have to start with Blangelo's story because... I think it's easily the cra- the craziest story of the entire NBA season. And that's saying something. We've had Tunnelgate <laughs> earlier this year with the Rockets and Clippers. J.R. Smith threw soup at a Cavs coach. A, bu- <laughs> a bunch of stuff happened, and this one tops all of it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like the Kevin Durant thing, but even more, which is amazing. This one might have real re- repercussions. The Kevin Durant thing didn't matter. Like, like it, it, like yeah. it, it's not going to affect anything. The, like, nobody cares that Kevin Durant has burner accounts except for NBA Twitter. This might affect actual decision making. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is pretty wild, right? That Colangelo, if this is true, if this is true, he's probably going to lose his job. Yeah, so we should probably explain what happened. So the Ringer put out a report uh, by Ben Diedrich, very well, de- very detailed. Very, uh, it's it's a little long, but you, you can get through it in about 15, 20 minutes if you have the time. It's it's well worth your time. I promise you, it's well worth your time. Uh, like so apparently, a source tipped him off in like a few, like a few months ago, basically. And this source was it was anonymous. It was like basically a Twitter egg. And this Twitter egg uh, also reached out to him on Instagram. So on these two platforms, he reached out to this reporter uh, who was also who was pretty de- deeply embedded in the Philly community. Like Ben Dietrich is a big Philly guy and uh, a noted Brian Colangelo critic. So th- if there's someone to leak the story to, it's this guy, basically. And uh, basically what happened is... the. This guy claimed to be work with artificial intelligence AI, and had discovered something unusual. He discovered these five Twitter accounts that were in, indisputably linked by their likes, their mentions, the way they spoke, who they followed, uh, like just patterns in in the way these Twitter accounts were were made. Everything, everything about them were. There's no doubt in this guy's mind that. The same person was behind it all, and what this guy was alleging was that it was Brian Colangelo, the 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 general manager of the Seventy Sixers, apparently had five burner accounts according to this guy, and was sitting on them, and was tweeting out these reckless things, like really reckless things, like he was tweeting about uh, Joel Embiid, Markel Folds defending himself, defending Brian Colangelo and his shirt collars, like. Like, everything about Brian Colangelo, he was defending. Uh, and he was defending moves that the, the, the organization made after Brian Colangelo was put in power. He was uh, criticizing Sam Hinkie and Masai Ujiri. Uh, he was doing all sorts of reckless stuff, uh, this, this account. And this, this person had tipped off to Ben Diedrich that it was, it was Brian Colangelo. That, that, that was... And so Ben Diedrich reaches out to the Sixers and he asks for comment. 
And immediately after, and Ben Ben did something really smart. He only revealed two of the accounts, right? So yeah, that, he, yeah, that was that was a stroke of genius. Well done, Ben. Yeah, he he, he only revealed two of the accounts, so as to monitor the the other three accounts as soon as he reaches out to these guys. So he reaches out to Sixers PR basically about the story, and it's it's kept it's kept under wraps. Like nobody knew, like while this is going on, nobody knows that Ben's doing this. And and I think it was really smart on his end to keep on collecting evidence. So he reaches out to Sixers PR and he asks them about these two accounts. And uh, Sixers PR gets back to him like later, like a few days later, after talking to Brian Colangelo. And in that time, all five accounts are private, turned private. So th- there's no doubt in like anyone's mind that whoever he reached out to, like that that was a domino effect, man. Like it, it, he struck a nerve by pointing this out and whoever whoever received info uh clearly sh- like did, did not want this to be released and and turned all these accounts to private but like ben ben here was keeping track of all this like he still had those three accounts in his back pocket and so uh by the way this has nothing to do with the rockets but you can i'll leave no, annotations it's amazing yeah I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave annotations in the like in the comment section or where the description of this podcast where you can skip forward but whatever i'll give back to the story um so basically these accounts are all turned private and apparently the the sixer staffer had only talked to brian colangelo nobody else nobody else in the organization knew about this only brian colangelo and so I mean, it's pre- it's pretty logical to say that he had had something to do with those accounts being turned private. Whether he told someone, whether he uh, he them he himself turned them private, or whether you know, like he was de- he's definitely involved. Like that's that much is confirmed at this point. And so, the, like monitoring monitoring like his this these accounts behaviors, Ben found out that this guy was fo- these accounts were following like. They were following Brian Colangelo's son's high school team. They were following like really personal, <laughs> like friends yeah. and family of Brian Colangelo. Like, it, there's no doubt that this person knew at least at the minimum, at least knew Brian Colangelo very well. Yeah, there was a bunch of things that nobody who wasn't Brian Colangelo would want to follow. Right. Like people that like people that have only like fifty followers that he knows personally, and like all the accounts follow them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like this, per- this these accounts were without a doubt linked to Brian Colangelo. Now, like th- that much is confirmed. And Twitter has done like some crazy things in the past forty eight hours. Like we've we've got some real Sherlock Holmes here on Twitter. <laughs> like we have some real detectives here. Like. Like, they've dug up stuff on these three accounts. Like, they're all linked. They're all linked. Like, the like someone tried to log into these accounts. And Twitter, you know, when you log into, when you try to log into an account that's not yours and you enter the wrong password, they're going to ask you for a confirmation email. A, a confirmation email and a confirmation, um, a confirmation phone number. And so all those phone numbers end in the, in the digits 9-1. So the, the same person operates all three of these accounts. And what's come out now is that it might be Brian Colangelo's wife, which is just yeah. insane. Like that's it blew my mind. It, the story yeah. is still developing. As, it keeps getting weirder. Yeah, yeah. Like it might be Brian. Like and like th- there were all these like linguistic patterns that match up to someone who speaks Italian as their primary language and English as their secondary. Language. Like look, Twitter dug all this up. Like this is not me like analyzing this. This is Twitter. <laughs> They dug, they dug all this up. Uh, I love this app. I love this stupid app so much. And so, like, there's now a contingent of people, and, and I'm not I'm not sure where I fall on this, but there's a lot of people that are starting to believe that this is Brian Colangelo's wife. And whatever the case may be, Brian Colangelo right now, like the Sixers just came out this morning and said they're they're, they're going to do a full on ad- investigation of this of this report. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the case may be, Brian Colangelo is, is in some deep hot water right now. Uh, yeah, because either it's him and it's that's a total nightmare and he's going to get fired for it, or it's like his wife or dad or a combination or something, uh, and that's just as bad, right? Like, it, there's a bunch of sensitive information that has been being spread by these accounts, 
uh, that should not be getting out to the public. So even if this is not him, that means someone very close to him is getting information from him. So it's it's not great. Uh, this is it's not great for him, but it's great for all of us who just want to uh, see chaos happen. And I want to put something out there. I've seen a bunch of people saying like, "Why would this rich and powerful guy want to do this? Why would he put himself in this dangerous situation just to yell at some people for being mad online?" Man, being mad online is what rich and powerful guys do. That's We have seen so many times, and we should know beyond the shadow of a doubt, that once you have money and power, the only thing you want is for other people to not call you names. And they will go to any any length just to like stand up for themselves and call people haters and crap like that. Right, like... the. This idea that a rich and powerful person could be this insecure shouldn't be news to anyone. Like, like I'm not going to get into specifics, but over the last two year, two to three years, like this shouldn't be, like this shouldn't be breaking news that someone of this of this power could do something like this, could be this insecure online and uh, care so much about his public persona. Like this shouldn't be at all news to anybody. Um, yeah, but like. This this story right now, like it, it's easily one of the five greatest things in NBA Twitter history. Like this is, like it, this is up there with Tunnelgate. This is up there with the DeAndre Jordan story. Like where like the six the Clippers had kidnapped DeAndre Jordan and <laughs> locked him into a, a house in downtown Houston. And there were all these conflicting reports <laughs> about Mark Cuban driving around downtown Houston looking for DeAndre Jordan's address. Like this is this is up there with all those great nights on Twitter. And like I, I just this is great. This this is gr- now. Now we should probably explain to listeners why it's not surprising that an executive would have a burner account in the first place. Like this goes back decades, like before Twitter. Pretty much every ever since the internet has has been a thing. Team personnel has monitored their perception online and fan bases through message boards, Facebook groups, blogs, and now Twitter. Like a, a good example of this. In the pre-Twitter age, is like clutch fans. Like teams have had people in the organization checking the temperature of the fan base through sites like clutch fans, and sometimes they would even post stuff. Like every yeah. t- every Twitter account with a good amount of followers has burner accounts from the specific team that they cover, monitoring everything that they say. Like this is just a known thing. Like media members know this already, right? Like if you don't believe me, like I would advise you to listen to, like Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, on an interview or a broadcast, whenever he goes on one of those rants about the media, like more often than not, he's referencing Twitter without saying Twitter. Like, so, like some someone like Jeff and Gundy, one hundred percent has a burner account. Coaches do it, executives do it. It's not new. Everyone knows about it. It's just the way things are. Yeah, uh, one day we'll figure out who D- Daryl Morey's burner account is. It's probably the most. Bo- it's probably the most boring account on the entire website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, see, like people like Daryl Morey, Danny Ainge, and like, like, like executives that are public like that and have like, uh, have their own Twitter account and like are willing to do radio interviews and willing to do podcasts and are willing to do all that stuff uh, and reach out to their fan base. Like those guys, like aren't insecure at all like they're public with their crap like they're pretty confident in, the, in themselves and they are smart about being out there and like there's no doubt in my mind that like exec there are executives like on the internet like every executive has some sort of twitter presence on the internet there that's just that's just the way things are like and it would it, it'd be frankly a dumb thing not to because you have to keep track of the stuff especially in like free agency and like um, the buyout market, and like you know, you got you have to monitor what teams are thinking, what te- what the rumors, all that stuff. Yeah, you, you, it's just a smart thing to do. Twitter's just one one way to get information that everybody everybody has. Yep, but they don't all go on yes, the yes. internet uh, calling people dips and uh, and telling people that this is a normal caller. Find a new slant. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 the thing is, these burner accounts usually don't say anything. Like they yeah, just, they just they just lurk. Yeah, they they just make the account, keep track of things said about their team, follow loved ones, and stay dormant. That's that's what they do. Like that's what makes this story so fascinating. It's that the allegations is Brian Kelenzo was so insecure to make a burner account, tear down players on his own team, tear down Sam Hinkie and Masai Ujiri, and defend himself online, like. <laughs> Th- this story is 
It's so good. It, it's it's awesome. And, and and right now, as we're as we're speaking, there's been a new allegation that Brian out Brian Colangelo apparently has like a blog post account or something like. Yeah, on on one of like it's on like the uh, on the 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 Sixers like SB Nation or something, right? Yeah, like, it's like some sort of SB Nation account where like he comments on Sixers blogs <laughs> and, and and Raptors blogs, like. And this is this line. This time period lines up to where Eric Jr., one of the burner accounts, was tweeting almost on a daily basis. Like this story is nuts. This story is nuts. It has everything, so many layers. And, and I just love that NBA Twitter is like discovering new details about this by the hour. Like there were there are things learned today that like just weren't available yesterday. Through investigative, I'm not even sure if it's reporting. It's just, it's just lurking. It's just like being a sleuth and just like, and just going through, like using your free time to just find links, find stuff said, and like I, I just this, this is great. I, I love this. Like th- th- this is why I hate when people say Twitter is like this bad thing for society or whatever. Like maybe it is, but it's just so fun. Like who cares if it is? Like. Who cares if it's a damaging place to be? Like it's just the best. NBA Twitter is awesome. Like and like this this story is just another example of why it's so fun. Uh, yeah, NBA Twitter is amazing. The NBA is amazing. The characters and storylines, as it were, this league is the best. <laughs> it's, it's better than any soap opera, man. Like it's you the can't best. you can't script this stuff. This Even stuff doesn't like have. Sometimes. Yeah, this, you're right. It does often feel like it's scripted. This stuff does not happen in the NFL. This stuff does not happen in the MLB. Like the, the, they're arguing about completely different stuff. Like they're they're arguing about flag protests and all that BS, right? Like like players in their league are protesting about important causes and kneeling for stuff that they feel is justified. And the NFL is like fining players for kneeling that next year or whatever. And in this league, like it's just the total opposite. Like players are free to express themselves. Players are free to protest about anything they want. Players are free to, to talk about anything they want. Be uh, characters. Joel Embiid is the best. Like through all this, Joel Embiid was tweeting like last night, like, like he was tweeting at these burner accounts, man. Like he tagged, yeah. <laughs> he tagged one of the burner accounts, and he liked everything said about him on these burner. Like this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the biggest problem the NBA has. They have two big problems right now, which can be summed up as: uh, is this hilarious storyline too salacious and enjoyable, and is this NBA team too good? So uh, I think they're doing okay. Yeah. I 100% believe Brian Colangelo played some part in this. Like, there's no way that this sensitive info gets out there without Brian Colangelo somehow being involved. He either told his wife, and, and she tweeted it from these burner accounts, or he tweeted himself because he's really insecure about his image. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't care either way, but I choose to believe it. I absolutely choose to believe this, yes. this, is, this is real. He's he's losing the public opinion battle, like, the, the like already. Either way, the fact that these accounts immediately became private as soon as it's a question about it leads straight back to Colangelo. I think he's gone. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see how they could possibly bring him back, even if this was just his wife tweeting these things. Uh, yeah, except, so that, that's probably the case, but then... What happens then? What if they hire David Griffin? I mean, this, this is a, this all leads back to LeBron, right? Yep. All roads, all roads lead to LeBron in this league. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna get into LeBron later in this podcast. But right now, um, I just want to say, like, the, the league brought in Jerry Colangelo to. I mean, they basically brought him in to prevent a situation like this from happening. Like, yes, did, they thought that it looked bad. The the optics were poor. Well, yeah, <laughs> they brought him in because they thought the the optics of of Sam Mankey were poor. Well, now I have some I have some news for you, Adam Silver. This right here is one of the most like like whatever the Sixers PR is scrambling right now. And like to, I was never a fan of Brian Colangelo. Like like when Jerry Colangelo brought him in, I just thought it was the most obvious display display of nepotism i've ever seen like it was just it was just so blatant 
And it was just, it was, it made, it undercut Sam Hinkie like crazy. And Sam Hinkie was forced to resign before he was fired because everybody knew the hammer was going to come down eventually. And I thought it was the shadiest thing. And I, th- I, I thought the NBA was wrong to get involved. And this is like a form of like redemption, a form of like payback. Like Sixers fans are rejoicing right now. Yeah, uh, they are sick of this, and it looks like that sickness is uh, the fever's breaking. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it, who could, yeah, as you said, who could have predicted this would happen? That uh, that this nepotism and the, uh, like, I guess sort of old school uh, manly man uh, mentality would cause a problem. I mean, not the, I'm not going to sit here and say that Sam Hinkie was perfect and yada yada. There's, there's plenty of debates about what Sam Hinkie was doing, and I don't care to relitigate any of that stuff. And but listen, he, I, I'm a process truther, so I, I'm going to defend Sam Hinkie till the till the end. But you're right; he is he isn't perfect. Like he he made mistakes. Uh, he wasn't so forthcoming with the media as he should have been. But he didn't do this. Yeah, yeah, he he didn't do this. <laughs> This is uh, yeah. this, this story so great. Just, the funny, the funniest outcome possible would be if Sam Hinkie came back on. That'd be the funniest. Oh, you think he's? You think he would come on? You think he would come back? I don't. I don't care if he would or not. I'm just saying it would be the funniest oh, yeah, possible it, outcome. It, it absolutely would. For <laughs> an ownership group to swallow, it's probably like that. That would be like it's just. I mean, if they did, the fan base would just rejoice, right? They would just yeah. absolutely party. I mean, I think they're already doing that right now, man. Like, I think, <laughs> like, they hate Brian Colangelo. They hate the Colangelos and everything they stand for because of the shadiness in, in the way the NBA brought him in and undercut Sam Inky, like, and the way that they've, frankly, made decisions over the past two, two years. Like, the Markel Fultz trade doesn't look great. Um, the trade they made earlier this year for Trevor Booker doesn't look great. Uh, they, Brian Colangelo hasn't done the best job. He's made some, you know, he's made a couple smart signings. Like, you know, uh, signing JJ Redick, signing Marco Bellinelli, signing Ilyasova. Like, like those were smart signings. But like, on the whole, he hasn't done a, the the best job. And the fan base hates him. Like the fan base yeah. hates these guys. Like they, they just. So let's get, let's move on to the Rockets. I'll leave something in the description so you can you guys can forward this part if you don't care about this. But I'm I'm sure there are some people who want to hear our, our takes on this. So how are you feeling now that you've had a couple of days to digest the end of the season? Uh, it was a successful season. I think that it was a successful season in that it it did everything we hoped and more. Uh contextually in the moment it feels like a loss because it was a loss and this was a legit chance to get a championship but i think that big picture uh this has increased houston stock around the league and around those who cover the league and uh i if you go you know if you if you can choose to either run this thing back from before the season or get this outcome i actually think that you probably just go ahead and take this outcome because there is this is better than anyone expected as far as season yeah i'll say this there's gonna be a lot of what ifs from this series for years to come like what if chris paul never got hurt what if luke Mute was 100 percent? what if they didn't miss 27 straight threes in game seven uh what if they caught a more favorable whistle in game six and seven whatever the case i don't think you can point to anything the rockets did or didn't do as a reason they didn't win this series. Like, James Harden played hard as hell. His three ball just wasn't falling. Um, Mike D'Antoni coached a hell of a series. Uh, I just I couldn't find, really find anything to, to nitpick him on. Chris Paul played his ass off until he pulled his hammy. P.J. Tucker was a monster. The Rockets did everything in their power to push this series as long as it ended up going. It, it really looked like they had the Warriors shook with their defense. And they just didn't catch any breaks. Yeah, uh, I mean the the twenty seven missed three pointers thing. That really hurts you. That really hurts you. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a cosmic joke, honestly. And a lot of people have been arguing over like, well, they got to go to something else, uh, which might have been true during the early part of that that stretch, right? Some of the if I looked at the at the video of all the missed threes in a row, the earlier ones, a lot of them were kind of contested. They were just kind of throwing up threes. But as it progressed pretty quickly, they were wide open. There were tons of wide open threes. And look, the fact of the matter is that if you are passing up wide open threes, you've already lost. 
Yeah, like a lot of those, a lot of those threes came within the flow of their offense. I agree. Like a lot of those looks are looks they got during the regular season and made like pretty regularly. Like they were a thirty six percent three point shooting team or something like that. Like they, they were, you know, looks they should have made, and it's they just missed them. I mean, they they just flat out missed them. It's, and and part of it could be like they were just tired. Like they play that entire rotation played a ton of minutes by the end of it, and. They looked exhausted, and um, they, they certainly played hard on defense. But on offense, you could you could tell maybe, maybe yeah. the tired legs got to them, and the shooting was a result of that. Um, part of it was, you know, I, I just think that I just I just think that it was kind of like after the second after that first half, like their energy just kind of wasn't there in the same way offensively that it was in the first half. Um, maybe it was because the Warriors really amped up their defense. Like the Warriors started to play up on the Rockets in that second half. Like it was pretty noticeable. Like the energy the Warriors showed in that first half was pretty embarrassing. Like Kevin Durant didn't even try to get rebounds in that first half, and in the second half, like the Warriors had a noticeable spike in energy, and maybe that affected the Rockets. Maybe they they just weren't expecting that energy to come, and maybe they were expecting to play that same Warriors team for the first half. I don't know. Like we'll never know. Um, yeah, it, I, I mean, so I, they were saying like it's one in some hundred thousand chance or whatever. I think even if you adjust for fatigue, even if you adjust for like getting tight on the world's biggest stage, even if you adjust for perhaps they saw a bunch of shots miss and they, you know, it's starting to get to them. There's a lot of like intangible stuff you can adjust for. But by the end of that run, the Warriors were just leaving them wide open because they didn't they weren't hitting anything. So they weren't even worrying about three-pointers, and they kept missing them anyway. So I think that it might have only been a one-in-a-thousand chance that this happens. Like, this is the thing I think a lot of people are missing, is that even all the stuff, all the factors they, they talk about, all those things go into it. This has never happened before in NBA playoffs. Never. Right. And, and there's a reason for that. That This is like, all those other things aside, it's also an incredible stroke of bad luck. Yeah, and like, listen, the people that were making that are probably making indictments on three point shooting are likely to be the same people that come after this every year. Like, yeah. they, they, they're just they're just people who don't like this and whatever. They they, they can go to hell. Like, yeah, I, I like I, honestly I actually, don't care about those people. I sort of respect the few of them I've seen who are because like there's the argument of well the Rockets are shooting a lot of threes, but so do all the other teams in the conference finals. They're all four of the top five three point shooting teams in the NBA. And some people respond with, well, yeah, none of them should be doing this. Which is, like, I don't know how you go there, but I respect that devotion to, to consistency. consistency. Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, the Warriors also are bad. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, every t- every team that's won the titles in 2011 has had a high, high reliance on threes. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just, it's just the way the NBA is now. Like, either, you know, adjust to it, accept it. Or move on to a different sport because, frankly, like it's not going away anytime soon. In fact, it's gonna it's, it's gonna go up as the years progress. Like the Rockets might shoot like fifty threes a game next year. Like that's yes. legitimately on the table. If if they can get some more shooters in there, yeah, yeah. Like it, it it's just like you just have to grow up. Honestly, it's that's the way the NBA is going. Um, that that's the smart way. It's 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 won the Rockets sixty five games. It it got the Rockets to where they are. Their play style was unbelievably successful. If you're trying to make an indictment on ISO ball, like, I mean, you should have criticized the Rockets earlier in the season when they were doing it and they were winning 65 games. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, it's just, it's it's dumb. Uh, I, I just think, like, these people come out of the woodworks every year when the Rockets get eliminated. Like, it's, it's, it's the same. And we talked about this before the playoffs started. We knew this was going to happen, that, you know... When James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, and Chris Paul get eliminated from the playoffs this year, there was going to be this underswelling of hot take artists that were going to come out with pitchforks and, you know, uh, come after the way, their style of play, come after them personally, their careers, whatever. Like, that's just the way it is. I mean, honestly, like, they're never going to get 100% approval rating until they win a title, and it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. 
They won't even end. I mean, yes, yeah, so there, there are plenty of people who were waiting for, like, oh, three-point shooting worked 98 games, but on the 99th game it didn't. So you got to throw it all away, which is exactly the kind of ridiculous attitude that leads to people believing all kinds of fake things because they saw one report that said it was true, as opposed to 99 that show that it's not. <laughs> uh, uh, I, and if you think I'm talking about something, I'm probably I'm talking about that thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, but I have—I was actually surprised by how few haters there have been. The Rockets actually won over a lot of people in that series, uh, more than in any previous series they've played over the last several years. Right? This, this one—that one week and a half—it was like it was like a week and a half or so that really just converted a lot of neutral people into respecting the Rockets and actively pulling for them. Because uh, they are a credible threat to the Warriors, and that's the big prize here. Look, the the, the Rockets lost their shot to, to compete in the NBA Finals, which is de- absolutely devastating, and it happened in a, a terrible gut-punch way. But they did get a prize, and that prize is massive respect. They are known now as a true contender and a real threat to the Warriors. The only real threat to the Warriors. That's, right. That is invaluable. Right, the, you're right. The Rockets gained a whole bunch of respect from people around the league for how hard they competed in this series. And honestly, they checked all of our four predetermined uh, goals before the season. Like Chris Paul and James Harden pairing worked out swimmingly. They won 65 games. They smacked their first two playoff opponents in 10 games. And they competed hard against the Warriors. Like, all we wanted was those three things to happen. Like, they, yeah. we, we said that it had to be a, a six-game series at the minimum. It went seven. So they surpassed that. And yeah. they lost game seven by single digits without Chris Paul. Yeah, it's to the point where, like, lots of pundits, I don't want to say if it's more than half or not, I don't care, it doesn't matter. But a lot of pundits feel that the Rockets probably should have won that series. And that's big, you know. Yeah, that's it's only a moral prize, I guess. But we're about to head into the off season where those moral victories actually do matter. They yeah. don't get you. They don't get you closer to another win, right? That doesn't. It doesn't go on your standings, but it can matter for who's going to want to sign up with you. Yeah, and listen. I, I not only that. I think they gain respect from the Warriors, which we talked about before this series. The Warriors had absolutely no respect for the Rockets. Like before, before they played them in this seven game, you know, slugfest. Like they, they had, they did not care about this. Like Draymond Green, especially, was so dismissive to them in the off season. Like, I mean, we talked about this story. Like when, like there was this report about. No, it wasn't a report. It was just like a, a fall, a catch up to Draymond Green during the off season, where people asked him about how he felt about the Rockets, and he basically said like they're desperate and they have no chance. Right, like that—that's that's how the team's vocal leader felt about the Rockets, and that's how pretty much everybody in that locker room felt about. It. They did not going into this series; they didn't expect at all for this to be a long series. I think I think there are people in that locker room that expected this to be over in five. Yeah, yeah, they they did think they were just gonna come in and take it from the Rockets quickly and easily, yeah. and uh, the they Rockets were totally were all able to. to them. Yeah. And they backed it up. I mean, they they definitely won't ever admit it to themselves because they shouldn't admit it to themselves. But, uh, you know, the Rockets outplayed them overall. They gave better effort. They had a better game plan. If You know, we don't know what would have happened if Andre Godala was healthy. But, it you know, it also we also don't know what would have happened if Chris Paul was healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Or Luka Bamute. Luka yeah. Bamute was supposed right. to be a key cog in this series. We talked about it so much. Right. Luke Mbamute was supposed to be the Swiss Army knife of the series, and he just he couldn't even get on the floor because of how bad his shoulder was. Right, and there's no point in litigating what if. Litigating what if will just kill you and make you miserable. But the important thing to remember from this is that the margin of error was small. That's the important part, that it is completely plausible that that series could have gone the other way. Yeah. So... Yeah. They they are they're a legit threat. They legitimately could have won that series. I mean, I think maybe this coming season the Warriors actually might try to get that first seed. Right? Maybe yeah. they're gonna want to have that that home court advantage against the Rockets in the conference finals. Maybe they don't want to have a chance of losing a game seven in Houston when both teams are healthy. 
Yeah, I mean, the Warriors did not come out of the series looking great, like, at all. <laughs> like, like they won the series, but they might have lost, like, a lot of respect. They from... lost a lot of respect. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's Because they just completely sleepwalked through the regular season. And, like, they should have won 65-plus games. Like, they should have. This team is too talented to not win that many games. And they just kind of, like... Took the Rockets for granted. They didn't even, like, as you said, they didn't even care about home court advantage up until they were about to lose it. And now that you know they've come out of this, like they have to win this finals in like four in like four or five games. Like otherwise, it's it's just. I mean, yes, they'll have three titles in four years, but like it's not gonna it's not gonna feel as convincingly of a of a dynasty as it had before, right? It's just it's just like. No one expected this to be as long as it did, but he, but now that it has, it's like the Warriors, like the Rockets are absolutely on their radar in the coming years. Yeah. You, you are right. Uh, and here's another thing too, which is we've learned a lot about a lot of things about the Warriors that they're going to deny, but are absolutely true. For example, I don't think it's just that they don't take anybody seriously and don't like, and you know they have another gear they just don't really need to go to, which I think is sort of true, but at the same time. I think that it's more that they their mentality prevents them from doing that. If there was ever a time to be at that higher gear, it was in Game 7 of the conference finals on the road. To say, oh, well, they just they just go don't go hard at the start of the game, right? Like, they just aren't worried about it. Well, they should be. How are they not going to be worried about it? If they, can, if they do not feel the pressure to compete in that situation, there is no situation that will make them feel the pressure to compete. And that is a problem. We're going to have to start figuring that out, right? Because they, I think that they're getting layer on layer of bad habits because of how good they've been. Uh, that you don't want a team that just plays at half speed in the biggest moments of the year. Who who would think this is fine? That's so dangerous. No, you're right. Like it's, uh, I I genuinely felt like they underachieved this season, even though they're going to the NBA Finals, right? Like it, it just it doesn't feel like the Warriors of the last two or three years. It feels like, as you said, a team that's developed a lot of bad habits. And maybe this is just Finals fatigue. Maybe this is just them, like knowing that they're that they're good enough, and you know being exhausted from playing. From getting to the finals, you know, three years in a row, and now now the fourth year, and just knowing that they can that they can turn it on in the third quarter and blow everybody out. Maybe it's just that. Like who knows? We'll never know. Um, maybe it's this. Just Durant doesn't feel like he fit belongs. Like he just like throughout that series, I never felt like D- Durant belonged in that series. It felt like he was just implanted in that series. Like you get you get what I'm saying? Like it just felt like yeah. he, he was brought in, like he was flown in. It never felt like he's been with this team for the entire season, the entire the entirety of last season. It just felt like he just stepped on the court with them. Yeah, and I think that I mean they they almost honestly looked more cohesive in the previous season, and I kind of wonder if that's just always going to happen no matter what right like if you are that good and you go to that many finals in a row and you have that little competition for everybody else you are going to have some bad habits that's what's going to happen uh you if you if you don't ever have to try you're going to stop having to try people wonder like oh why don't they ever go at more than like 60 percent why would why would they like if you can if you can get all your work done at your if you can get everything done at your job by going at 60 percent effort why would you ever go 100 percent effort so, uh, and you practice how you play. I, I, I think there's something to be said that the longer this goes on, the more like no one is really able to challenge them. The more bad habits they pick, they pick up, and the, the more sort of fatigue they pick up, and the worse it's going to be when they do finally lose because everyone loses eventually. They're not going to. I mean, unless this this whole core gets turned over for like an entire new core of equally dominant players, which I guess we can't take off the table, but we can't expect that everyone, everyone gets old, everyone loses and it's going to be ugly when they do. Yeah. I mean, listen, like it's really, really hard to make the NBA finals four straight years. Like it's really, really hard. I don't care how much talent you have. Like it's just, there's a lot of mental fatigue, a lot of, uh, we know we can do it. So why try? But here's the thing, man, like you can go 60%. But what if you go 60% and you lose? 
Like, what, what if that happens? Like, what if what happened in that game seven? Like, what if that third that third quarter never comes? Like, what if what if you go into the game expecting to turn on the third quarter, and what if that third quarter never comes? And you lose the series, and you end up winning only two titles in four years. Like Zach Lowe talked about this on his podcast. That is not a dynasty, man. That's just no. that's flat out underachieving with the and amount they, of talent you have. Yeah, and they absolutely had that door open for the Rockets. Like that is, and that's a big deal, right? Like, take, do you tell a story when the ball is in the air, as uh, Stan Van Gundy likes to say? It's about how they did it, and they honestly. The greater expectation should have been that the Rockets win that game. We saw what had to happen for the Warriors to lose it. And yeah, I know if the Rockets hit several threes, then the Warriors probably play differently. But that's super tenuous. They were right there on death's door. They had a real shot to lose that. And that has to take to be taken into account. They were pushed to elimination. <laughs> no one else has done that, and they let themselves get pushed. That they can tell themselves, "Oh, we could, we could have just won this in four or five. Well, you didn't. You didn't. Which means you can get pushed to, to seven games, and you could have lost that. And the fact that this team could have lost is a major red flag for them. And I, they're probably going to defeat the Cavs easily, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're capable of taking that as seriously as they should. Yeah, I mean, you you bring up a good point. I mean, this is the first series that they played more than five games. Like, that's insane. They hadn't played a more than five-game series in two years. That's bananas. Like, they they just, even last year in the finals, they, they, t- they took easy work of the Cavs. Like, they just stole their lunch money. Like it, And this was the first series that was actually competitive for them since, since they signed Kevin Durant. Now, I know... They've had competitive series before signing Kevin Durant, but ever since they signed Kevin Durant, they've just been like this is why there's been so many debates of inevitability on Twitter. Like like there's this is the Warriors with Kevin Durant just feel like an unreachable object. And this year, they were very much reachable, and the Rockets showed that. Like that's it's just hard to imagine. And now like listen, the Rockets aren't scared of this team. Like they know that. Like in, I bet you in there, every single one of those guys thinks that if Chris Paul never went down, they won this. They win this series. There's no doubt in my mind. They they believe that internally. Yeah, and it's not crazy to believe that. I mean, once again, you can't know what if, but if you're the Rockets, of course you believe that, and you should believe that. That's absolutely what should be going through their heads that they know now that they can win this series. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into this in in. in the late we'll get into this in the off season discussion part of this podcast, but I mean, listen, like they're going to attract a lot of pe- a lot of free agents because of this, because of the way they competed this year. And you talked about it earlier, like teams saw how hard they they pushed the Warriors, and they know outside of actually joining the Warriors, joining the Rockets might be your best cha- shot of a championship. You'll definitely catch less flack for joining the Rockets and joining the Warriors in general. And in a certain way, doesn't it feel better to like unseat the champion than to secure the champion? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, like it, it really depends on like who the player is, at what point in their career they're going to join this the super team. At, at you know, you know, all all that stuff, all that stuff really matters, and how motivated they are. But honestly, like it, it's it's gonna it's really gonna come down to who has the extra assets, like who has the more exceptions, who has more to work with to sign these end of the bench ring chaser guys. Um, and that might end up being the Rockets, depending on how they play their cards this, this, this offseason. And like the Warriors really, they, they really pissed it away last offseason by signing guys like Omri Kasapi, Nick Young, um, and like guys like JaVale McGee were just completely useless in this series. Like they 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 played a short rotation as well. Like nobody's nobody's talking about that enough. Like they played as short a rotation as the Rockets because they didn't have, you know, good guys that could play in the series. They, their guys would have would have gotten played out of the series. Like if they had played, um, if they had played, Kevon Looney, not Kevon Looney. If they had played Nick Young more, or if they if he had, if they had played Javale McGee more, that they're just like lunch meat out there on the floor, man. Like yeah. It, like the the Rockets have that with Ryan Anderson and Nene and other guys, but the rock the those are guys the Rockets signed before this offseason, and those are guys that um, 
you know, are, are, gonna, are coming up on critical off seasons, and it, it's just I just find it fascinating that both of, both of these teams had to limit their bench, limit their rotations because they're just guys who weren't playable. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing you know. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, both of these teams do that to each other, right? Uh, a lot of people are talking about, well, why doesn't why doesn't uh, Kerr or um, or D'Antoni play more players in the rotation? And I don't know. I, I seem to recall us calling this right that like these rotations are going to get really short. You yeah. can't play a lot of these guys. You can play them against other teams, but it's not just that it's a matchup issue, which it is, but also that you just have to be incredibly good to win against these guys. You can't have any weak links out there. So both these teams have a lot of players who can and do play very well in the regular season and honestly against every other team in the playoffs. You know, you can get minutes out of Nene in, against other other playoff games, against other teams in the playoffs, but you can't against the Warriors you have to go with your best players. You can only play a select few. And yeah, you want to get as many of those few as possible, but there's just only so much room. You know, you only have so many minutes to give out in the regular season. How are you going to tell a, a guy who should be a starter quality player that he's going to be the eighth man? That's really hard, and not even the Warriors really can do it. Yeah, I mean, that that's where the, the Iguodala injury really hurt them, right? And that's where... Uh, the Mbamute injury really hurt the Rockets. Is that they just had to play short rotations, and I just, I, I just, I'm just gonna find it fascinating how the Warriors and the Rockets play this in the offseason. Like how they improve their end of the bench guys is gonna be really like these teams are now officially in a chess match till till death, basically, <laughs> and, and until yeah. until one of their franchises folds or gets old or gets old and can't compete for titles anymore. Like they're gonna be they're gonna be linked together forever, like the Warriors and Cavs were for the past four years. Like yeah, it was a yeah, it was a one-sided rivalry, but it's not anymore. This is a real rivalry now. Yeah, and, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Like whenever the rock, whenever the Rockets sign somebody, it's going to be with explicit um, intent to play in a Warrior series. And whenever the Warriors do that, it's going to be the same thing in a Rocket series. Like nobody in the Western Conference can compete with the Warriors outside of the Rockets. Like that's just that's just the way it is, man. Like I mean, just look if you look around the. Landscape of the Western Conference, like maybe you could say the Spurs, but I mean their their future is looking really murky right now, and the Rockets are going to be they're going to have another shot. Like if if they don't face injury, and if 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 they play their cards right, if they whatever they do this summer, like they're going to be the most formidable opponent for the Warriors again next next Western Conference Finals, and it's going to be a, a real back and forth thing, man. It's going to be. I can't. I can't wait. Like it's, it's the the real the chess match is going to be really fun. It's going to be all off season, all uh, buyout season. It's going to be a constant back and forth of guys you can find off the scrap heap that can contribute in a Western Conference final. Like Gerald Green was somebody who I got to give credit to because I didn't think he'd be playable at all, but they signed him off the scrap heap, and he was actually a really big contributor for the Rockets. Um, in this series, like I, I'm genuinely surprised that he played so much. He played so much in the series and and played well. Like stood his ground on both ends for as much as Gerald Green can. Yeah, he acquitted himself well. Uh, I think he's definitely the kind of guy you want to keep on your team at a minimum because he adds a lot of fun and tangible stuff. Uh, he is a great teammate. He can absolutely get you a lot of a lot of plays and a lot of minutes in the regular season and yeah he may be unplayable against a, a couple of teams in the playoffs but you know what that's fine and, and he, was, he, he was playable in, yeah, in, he in, actually, this, in this warrior series he, he was playable. yeah yeah like th- that that's what's surprising to me like and it's going to be a constant back and forth with these teams of finding guys like that like finding guys like Mbamute, finding guys like PJ Tucker, finding guys like three and D wings are gonna like they're already a prized possession. But with these two teams, it's gonna be. I mean, I just can't wait. I can't wait till this this, this off season starts. Um. So, do you want to get into it? Uh. Yeah. We 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 should probably do it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So apparently, according to Mark Stein's latest newsletter. Chris Paul already has already begun recruiting LeBron James. Now the newsletter is vaguely worded, so I'll just read what it says verbatim, and t- and you tell me what you think. Uh, so here it goes. Rest assured that Chris Paul, who made a fast exit from Toyota Center late Monday night 
after being forced to watch the biggest game of his life from the bench because of his hamstring injury, has already begun his recruitment to James of James to Houston. Uh, yeah, that means he's texting him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> like, like, I just think, like, I, I can't believe we're already here. Like, I was expecting a good two weeks off, but like, it's, it is Wednesday, and they the Rockets got eliminated on Monday, and we're already on LeBron watch, and LeBron's playing in the finals right now. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, it's 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 only been. A couple of days since they've gotten eliminated, and we're already in LeBron watch mode. I mean, if you were Chris Paul, would you wait? <laughs> you know, what's he doing? He might as well just call him from the parking lot, like old uh, like old Draymond did a couple years ago, to call uh, Kevin Durant. Why not start now? Let's keep keep the dialogue open. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this for nine months, but now it's fully coming to a head. Um, this LeBron watch stuff. I mean, it's. The, the scenarios for which they can land LeBron are like... Look, Daryl Morey was talking about this in his exit interview press conference today. Um, he believes... like I mean, he hinted at this. like there's like there's he, he never said it explicitly, but he was asked by Jonathan Fagan. Like, and it was, it was funny watching the back and forth between these two in the press conference. Like, Fagan basically asked Morey, like, if you're going to pursue a high-value free agent, how are you going to bring all of your guys back? Like, how are you going to bring... Clint Capella, how are you going to bring Chris Paul? How are you going to bring Trevor Ariza back? And Daryl basically said, those two things aren't even related. Like, I, I can make that happen, basically. He basically said that. And I, I just think that this is... Daryl really believes he can get this through done through sign and trade. Like, he, I, he really believes he can get the Cavs to play ball. I find that fascinating. Uh, yeah, and I think that if... Uh... If LeBron, for example, if he's the guy, if he does decide that he wants to come to Houston and he's willing to do that extension and trade, that's how it would have to work. And the difficulty is that it would require like a multi-team trade for it to happen. And a, th- a three-team trade is exceedingly difficult, exceedingly difficult in all scenarios. Yeah. But it it's possible. It's doable. Uh, you can make that trade. It can happen. Uh, it just requires, you know, finding. I mean, obviously, the long and the short it would be you have to move Ryan Anderson and then see what you have to move with him to move him, which would probably be Eric Gordon and some picks or something. So, it's it's out there. It's just it just has to have a bunch of things come together for it to happen. So it's technically possible, not realistically pl- plausible. Really, it's it's not very probable, but it could happen. Uh, it's not off the table and. You know, once we know what LeBron himself wants to do, obviously that's the biggest thing. Because if he comes out and he says, I want to go to Houston, they're going to figure out a way to get that to happen. Where there is a will, there is a way. Uh, especially in this world of salary caps. Yeah, and listen, like, there's no like, there's no doubt in my mind Daryl's going to be aggressive. Like, really aggressive for a third star this summer. Like, there was a report today by Kelly Iko of... of, of um, US, not US, yeah, USA Today Sports that the Rockets are going to be he- in heavy pursuit of Paul George this summer. So, like, there's no doubt in my mind that they're already scouting the NBA landscape. I mean, they've, they've been doing this probably for like months now. Like, probably as soon as Chris Paul was was added, they they already immediately started their hunt for a third star. And you know, that started with Paul George, and then they moved on to Carmelo Anthony as soon as Paul George was moved. And now they're back on Paul George because the possibility exists that he may still be available and like the difference now between between now and last offseason is that like there's all this talk about how man you couldn't even move Ryan Harrison last offseason how are you possibly going to move him this offseason I'll tell you why first he has two years left on his contract instead of three that's huge that's one extra year of 20 million dollars in Saturday that you're not having to pay for him two the Rockets would be more willing to attach assets to Ryan Anderson in a LeBron James deal than a Carmelo Anthony deal. That's absolutely. That's the biggest thing. They would be more willing to give up draft picks. They would be more be more willing to give up Air Gordon. They would be more willing to give up you know key prospects that you know like like Zochi or whatever you know whatever they have in the coffers. They'd be more willing to to cough that up 
in a Paul George or LeBron James trade than they would a Carmelo trade. And I feel like that's not being discussed enough because because people just assume that you because you couldn't move Ryan Anderson last year that you can't move him this year. And I, I find it hard to like if you were to put a gun to my head right now this offseason and make a prediction about it, I would say first I think Chris Paul comes back, and two I think Ryan Anderson's not on the team next year. Next year, I, I have a hard time believing that after this postseason, after Ryan Anderson was moved to the bench in January and completely unplayable in the playoffs and basically played garbage time minutes, I have a hard time believing that Daryl Morey is happy with using that roster spot on him and devoting that much cap space to him. Like I, I, I genuinely believe, star or no, or no star, that Ryan Anderson is going to be gone next this this summer. I, I. I I feel I just feel it in my gut, like I just I, I, I Daryl has never held on to a contract, a bad contract for more than two years. Like if you look at Corey Brewer, if you look at Omar Ashik, like those contracts were moved pretty fast after after they were inked. Yeah, uh, he's good at shedding unfavorable contracts, and yeah, Ryan Anderson served his purpose and he served it well, and he's been good in the regular season, but. I don't know. It, it definitely felt like when he missed some time there toward the end of the regular season that he just got like bumped entirely. They they were no worse off without him, and they realized it. And uh, so he's he he'll he'd be very helpful for somebody, uh, and he would have been very helpful for the Rockets if not for the fact that you just you just need a different thing nowadays. I don't know. It's it's weird that like the stretch four seems to actually be on their way out after as quickly as they came in. Well, the stretch four that can't defend in space, right? Yeah. Like, like it's really hard to play you. Uh, they could they, they found it hard to play Ryan Anderson in the Utah series, which I found like strange. Like you would think that with Rudy Gobert out there, like you'd maybe find a way to play him at the five, but they just couldn't find him, find spots for him. And I just think like watching him, this like I just it's it's hard for me to envision. A Rockets team that has Ryan Anderson on the roster next year. I could be wrong. I'm just taking a shot in the dark here. But I, I, I genuinely believe Daryl will find a way to move that contract. Whether or not he brings a star along with him, I think. I, th- I just think Rhino's gone. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty a pretty reasonable uh, thing to think. Uh, I, I would not be. Yeah, I wouldn't be counting on his presence. I think his salary is a big part of a lot of potential uh, improvements they could make. Like if they if they pick up any reasonable player, they're going to uh, have to move his salary to make whatever trade they need to make, sign and trade or otherwise. And it's surprising how many players do have the ability to do that little sign and trade. It's an opt in trade, basically. Yeah, you opt into the last year of your deal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's a, a straight up trade, it's actually harder, right? Like, if you're looking, if you're looking to acquire some talent that uh, is under contact for a few years, yeah, the Rockets don't have the don't have the pieces to do it, but they have the ability to sign a free agent by way of trading for him, which is kind of what happens with everybody nowadays. And yeah. people like if people say, oh, well, well, you know, what if no one just chooses to take those contracts? Someone always takes them. Man, someone always does. When has that ever stopped anybody? I mean, the Rockets did this last year with Chris Paul. I mean, when, when a free agent tells you, I'm out the door, get something for me, teams are more willing to react than if, if they just leave. Like, or if they just, if they, if they, if they just threaten to leave, right? If, if they're civil about it, you're more likely to get what you want. And both teams are more likely to come to the table if you plan this ahead of time, that's what happened with Chris Paul. Chris Paul went to management in their meeting before the before the offseason started and said, I'm out. Get something for me. And that and the Clippers did just that and they came out with a pretty penny. I mean, they have a nice little collection of talent there. Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams was really great for them this season. They got a draft pick out of it. Like they came out pretty well. They they and their future looks a lot brighter than it did before the Chris Paul trade, right? And, like, I, I just think Daryl is really good at constructing deals where both sides come out of it looking really great, especially when a star, is, a star player is leaving because you might as well get something for it. Yep. So, yeah, I, I do think that it's pretty likely that you're right that Ryan Anderson's gone, but I think also that it it's quite likely in that scenario that Eric Gordon goes with him. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, we're not going to get too too deep into the weeds because we have a lot of off-season left, man. And Oh, boy, we do, yeah. And it's going to be I, – I can't wait. Like, my favorite time of the year is the playoffs on the NBA calendar. Everybody has their pet favorite time of the year, whether it's trade deadline, free agency, whatever. Mine is the playoffs, and right after that, it's July 1st. Like, nothing competes with July 1st after the playoffs. It's just the best. The The – just the the craziness that goes on on social media, like people following certain things and unfollowing certain things, uh, rumors being leaked out to the media about players' wishes, like all that stuff is so fun to get into. I can't wait to get into getting into it with you this summer and other people on the site. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Red Nation Noops and at Do Nots. Give us a review on iTunes if you enjoy the show. It really helps us out. Helps people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night.